1: Well, thank you very much, and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron. We are joined, as always, by our co-host, Carol Zerniel, Carol's Executive Director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. She's the past chair of the Board of Directors of the National Council on Aging, a member of the Ray's Family Caregiving Advisory Council under the Federal Department of Health and Human Services, master's degree in social gerontology, and Next Avenue Top 50 Influencer on Aging. And that's a whole lot for a young woman who's still in her 20s or so.
2: <laughs> okay, well, that, may be, that might be um, alternative facts there, Ron, but thank you.
1: Well, we are delighted to have you on. And it's your background and experience that brings so much to these programs. And one of the things that uh, I love is the way in which you come up with uh, questions and topics in dealing uh, with many of our guests. So let's get to it. Lee Woodruff, who is a, a journalist, author, public speaker co-founder of the Bob Woodruff Foundation, and had written an article that I saw in the AARP, AARP magazine, Caregiver's Quarantine Diary, How I'm Handling the Fear and Stress, and that is a question that every single American ought to be asking themselves right now. So, Lee Woodruff, thanks for coming on.
3: Well, thanks for having me on. I, I don't know that I have any more answers than anybody else, but I'm I always willing to share tips and listen to what other people have to say, too.
1: And, and what is it about this, I was going to say this pandemic, as if we've all been through others? Most <laughs> most were not around in 1918 when that one hit. Some may be. You never know. I feel
3: like I was around in yeah. 1918 some days, you know?
1: Well, I'm beginning to feel the same way as well. <laughs> there, there are days because our family is quarantined out of, You know, personal desire not to get exposed. Uh, And I went for my medical checkup the other day, and they, I happen to be 78, and they did the mini mental status test. And I'll tell you what, I started sweating when they said, What day is it? I had no idea. None.
3: And you would, be, you would be among millions of us who, for every day, it's Groundhog Day. Oh, so I think you. you should take that worry right off your plate.
1: <laughs> thank you very much. I'm serious. I, I really, I said, oh, my God, this is it. They're going to take me right to the hospital. <laughs> and, and, and it is that existence that many of us are in now that has so changed of the kind of lives we're living.
3: Well, it has, and I think the big big piece about anxiety is the not knowing piece, and so many of us, myself included, are kind of type A folks in the sense that we just kind of want to know. I don't need to know the answers to everything, but you sort of want to know, well, give me an idea. For example, I, I've often said to my husband, if you told me that we were going to do this for a year, then I could tuck in and I could kind of solve for a year. I could get my head around a year and and sort of work toward that, but... This is—it's the the unknowing, the uncertainty. I think that makes it so hard for humans.
2: You know, I love that you said that, Lee, because we were playing a game at my house after reading the New York Times of poetry in six words, and there was a whole column on on defining your life, right, in six in six (laughs) words. And I'm going to tell you exactly my six words. Yeah, let me hear. Quarantined together. How does this end? Very good. Wow. Mine
3: were all dirty, so I can't <laughs> say them. They were all swear words. I think a lot of them, but I love that one.
2: Well, thank you. I think but mentally, I probably had the swear words, but since it was a family exercise, <laughs> that's what came out.
1: <laughs> so as well, you, ours, go ahead, ours had
2: a lot to do with what you
3: were saying. Just I, I'm trying to remember our little six word ones, and they had a lot to do with: is it night? Is it day? Is it work? Is it play? You know, it all sort of melds together to your earlier point.
1: As you look at how this has slammed America, if you go back just a few months, who in the world would have believed over 205,000 of our fellow citizens would have been killed, dead, gone? Who would believe the, the huge numbers who are sick now with the coronavirus? And we still don't know where it's going to go. There's no way to get a handle on that number. You think about the Vietnam Memorial I was uh, in broadcasting in Washington, D.C. when the memorial was built, and I covered it live the day it was unveiled. And you look at all those names on there. Nothing compared to where we are now.
3: And it's so interesting because it it's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that there are people who are not doing what you're doing, who are not respecting the quarantine or don't believe that it's really happening because they don't know anybody who's, um, you know, passed away or come close to it. And And I... I don't feel like that's where the country was back when that Vietnam Memorial was built. People might have agreed or disagreed with the war, and it got a little heated back in the 70s. I can remember that. Right. But people came to a place of mutual respect for for people's opinions. But this isn't an opinion. People, you just said the number. That's a fact.
1: I have three people I know, not close friends. One was a pretty close friend who died uh, from the virus. Uh, And it's and they're all different ages, different backgrounds. Uh, That virus just doesn't respect who you are and where you are.
3: No, no.
1: So how do we get people to take this seriously? And how do we turn fear into a positive uh, effort uh, to bring something good out of all this? Well,
3: we've got, there's a uh, election coming up, and that will hopefully, things will have to move one way or the other. I'm certainly not going to get political here, but I feel like that's a big part of everybody's uncertainty as well. Um, And whether the election breaks your way or not, whatever that is, at least we will know. And so that will at least drive policies, I would assume, on the virus going forward, whether or not you agree with them. I think that'll take a little bit of this out. But I think at the end of the day, it's the overarching sense of helplessness we have that we that what you just said is kind of an impossible task for the individual. So it brings it back down to probably the place where um, Carol lives, which is, you know, what can what can we do for ourselves? How can we take care of our family? How can we focus on the things we can control? And maybe that's respecting the rules in terms of, as you said, your, your child, children quarantining, people wearing masks and respecting. I sort of have this rule um, right now with COVID that, well, I might be lulled into a little bit of a, I don't know, less vigilance than I was in March, I will absolutely default to whoever has the most stringent rules. So the other day we went to sit with some neighbors and have some cocktails and some food, and they asked us to bring our own food, bring our own dishes, bring our own utensils, and I'm completely fine with that because those are their rules. No judgment. Those are things we can control. Well, I-
2: Right. That, you know, and I think that that's a that's a great point. And, and Ron and I were having a discussion earlier, um, making it OK to respect other people where they are in this pandemic certainly does. Uh, if you can just accept that, um, either you agree with them or you don't want to be around them. And, you know, if, if somebody's not respecting the pandemic and you're somebody who believes in mass distancing, I mean, that that helps right there. Just knowing where your boundaries are and don't push past them because that's when you get into trouble.
3: That's a
1: great point. Now, as you think about...
2: Well, I'm thinking about... Well, go ahead. No, I was just going to point out, you know, there, there may be people who haven't made the connection, because as you're talking, Lee, I'm thinking about this is, you know, this is the second major uh, event dropped into your life. Can you t- talk a little bit about your background and your husband, and what was that like with Bob um, versus now with the pandemic?
3: Well, so Bob is a journalist for ABC News, and he was back in 2006 named the successor with Elizabeth Vargas when Peter Jennings from ABC World News passed away. So he was that was a big moment for any journalist, as you as you both know. Sure. And uh, nine or eight weeks later, he was off to Iraq to cover the State of the Union uh, for President Bush, President Bush's State of the Union. From the ground, and he'd been embedded in the invasion of Iraq. He'd cut, he'd been to, you know, all in many conflict zones. So this wasn't that wasn't any new thing or big shakes, but it was just the same. Uh, it was what I call the in an instant moment where the bad thing happens that you know happens to other people, but for some reason you think you yourself might be immune. And he was hit by a roadside bomb while he was reporting. And I just got the phone call, in the early morning hours, that so many military families have gotten that loved ones and humans have gotten since the beginning of time, the unexpected accident or injury or thing that happens, and it doesn't have to be a roadside bomb in Iraq. It's the, the moment where life gets upended, and uh, we came through it. Bob came through miraculously. He's back reporting he should not be um, as whole and as um, capable as he is, uh, although I, I believe that his story was... His experience and our ability to to have a platform to tell the story was kind of the reason and helped shed some light on on what our military families were not getting in terms of help with traumatic brain injury. But that was a, a private family moment that so many people around us were part of the network of helping, and it's interesting to juxtapose that against what's happening now, where I feel like we're all in this now, and I don't. There's no one I can turn to to say. Who can say this will get better, or we're going to stop this, or we're going to have a vaccine in two weeks that works, or any of those things? So I think we're all searching for purchase. Whereas when something bad happens to you, and there's been a pattern in life of of things like that happening, there are wonderful people who are further down the road from you that can give you advice.
1: She's Lee Woodruff. We don't have any
3: purchase.
1: She's Lee Woodruff. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernial, our co-host, is here as well. Uh, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air as we talk with Lee about the follow-up, not only uh, as we focus on COVID and quarantine and where we're going with that, but her work in behalf of the Bob Woodruff Foundation. Uh, you didn't let that all just sit and go away. You, you turned what happened to your husband into something very positive for others. Tell us about your work. And I want to hear in more detail how we can help. And we'll do that in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Stay right with us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not-normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. Never hurts to have a little Eric Clapton join us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. Lee Woodruff is with us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline and we're talking with her about not only her work as a journalist, public speaker, and co-founder of the Bob Woodruff Foundation, but what that foundation has been able to do as you turn it into a positive in the wake of uh, Bob being injured in Iraq. Uh, What's happening with the foundation?
3: Well, we're in interesting places. I think many nonprofit organizations are right now. Uh, There's concern uh, about raising funds. What what we do at the Bob Woodruff Foundation is raise money, and we have an incredible team of folks, many of whom are military family members who have served themselves, who take a look at what's happening with organizations on the ground in towns like yours that are doing really good work for veterans and their families in terms of um, reemployment, Um, Taking care of the caregiver is the third pillar. And then lastly is helping with post-traumatic stress um, and suicide prevention, which is really at an all-time high. And we give grants to those groups who are best in class, um, best practices. um, And we have strings attached to those grants. We don't just write a check and walk away. So we stay involved in helping the organization grow or scale or connect to other organizations to learn what might work, what doesn't. And it's wonderful because we can turn the giving spigot when things change. So when COVID hit, we pivoted uh, dollars to organizations that were going to be able to help families with basic needs that we were seeing.
1: Oh, that's cool. Um,
3: Yeah, mental health being, you know, chief among them.
1: This is a program aimed at caregivers, as as I know you're aware by its title caregiver sos on air and you're one of those people you mentioned early on in our conversation today you got that phone call middle of the night life is good i'm sure you were worried about bob being in a rock but uh, things were going well you hadn't heard anything untoward and then boom your life is turned upside down and you become a caregiver what was that like for you
3: i uh was sort of acting from instinct as i bet so many caregivers are when they get a phone call i was not prepared I could sit here and talk a lot about just having your financial house in order. I I call it the red file, and it's you know passwords to computers. Who's the person who knows what the insurance policy is? Who's your spouse's benefits person at work? Um, Just kind of what do you need to know? It took a long time to piece that together, and I didn't piece it together. It was my sister and my friends. So if you don't want people to know exactly what you make and what your finances look like, organize that. Um, but I, I think I had a good network of people around me, but I was stabbing in the dark, I think, like so many caregivers, trying to figure it out.
1: And you went over there to see him?
3: I did. We saw. We went to Germany. I say we, Bob's brother, my brother-in-law, my best friend, Melanie, uh, whose husband, David Bloom, was an NBC reporter who died in Iraq during the invasion. I remember. Yeah. So she came with me, and we saw him in Langstuhl, which is, the, mm. of course, the European base and hospital for for most of the theater of war in the Middle East
1: as well Europe were you prepared for what you saw
3: I was in the wonderful gauzy world of denial so when i saw him uh, he was in a coma he was in a cold refrigerated room to keep the swelling down and i think i was in such la la land expecting to him to be blown to bits or something um, even though his head was horrific and you know stapled back together I just sort of walked out and said, you know, it's not as bad as I thought. And then my brother-in-law followed me into the room after I left, and he practically threw up. He was like, wow, what is Lee? <laughs> what, why right. was she telling me that? He looked horrible. Hey, he so never he looked so the good. The thing that comes around you.
1: Exactly. And from that day to today, could you ever believe you'd get where you are now?
3: No. Not in a million years.
2: Well, and I think that that's, that's that's the story of hope, though, for the rest of us, is we don't know how far we're going to recover from what's going on right now, just as you didn't know when you started out, you know, how far you were going to go from that head injury, head injury to today.
3: I think that's so true, and there's another thing, Carol, that the, the marker keeps moving as well. So, it, like, at first, if my, my baseline was, I just want him to live, Lord, just let him live, then the next baseline is, You know, I just want him to be able to recognize his children. And you move the markers and you realize how resilient we are as human beings. So think about this. I'll turn that question back on both of you. You actually asked me this earlier. Could you have imagined in October, essentially, that we would be walking into stores with masks, that people would be doing online learning at school? Who would have possibly imagined that? And yet we have somehow adopted, haven't we?
1: Well, I have failed at homeschooling, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> but
2: other, other other, than that, right. Ron, you've
3: done yeah. pretty good.
1: Yeah, we no, all have I done. Mean,
2: just like anybody with an illness or a disability, we have discovered other strengths, right? Like I can yes. operate technology, which for all involved is a complete miracle um, that I'm able to do <laughs> Zoom meetings. <laughs> so new, and new so skills right. and other new ways to reach heightened. people. What's that? Yes.
1: It's the best way to reach people now, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, and as, as Lee was saying, you know, we, we do. We, we exercise other, other skills. Um, and I think the other thing we've learned is, you know, we can let some things go. And some of those we're happy to let go, the hair and makeup every day. <laughs> um, but other things we have to, you know, we have to talk ourselves into that's not important right now. And that's
3: about changing the scale, changing the expectation, and I, and I think where the hope comes for every caregiver listening out there is it may sound enormous if you just were standing at A and tried to see Z, but going from A to Z is a process, and there's a point at which you wake up and you say, okay, this is my life right now, and I can do this. You know, whether that's taking care of a loved one who's completely disabled or loss, total loss, grief, You know, it's a process, and we are really built to survive as human beings. I think that was the number one thing I learned.
1: Now, you wrote a book uh, shortly after uh, Bob came back after the injuries, and I love the title, Perfectly Imperfect. Tell us about the book.
3: Um, So that was actually my second book. The book Bob and I wrote together in an instant was about our journey, and then Perfectly Imperfect actually was cobbled together from a lot of the things that got cut from the first book, a lot of stories, many of them caregiver-related um, short stories, some funny, some poignant, like my dad with, who uh, died from Alzheimer's and that journey. But at the very end of that book is a chapter called What I Know Now, and those were all of the things I learned from other caregivers, kind of my compendium of the best advice. Like one what? One of the best pieces being don't go day by day. That's way too much. Go hour by hour. I love that one.
1: Interesting.
2: Right. Break it up into small chunks that you can, you know, adjust it, survive, actually.
1: What else did you learn?
2: Gosh, one of my other favorites was
3: subscribe to the CHIT system, and that's C-H-I-T, in right. case you guys were wondering. Yeah, I understand. Um, <laughs> and everybody, when a bad thing happens or a sad thing happens, everybody swarms around you. It's kind of like everybody loves a car wreck, and I don't mean that to sound malicious, but everybody wants to help. And you're just so overwhelmed at that point in time. You can't imagine what you would need. So a very good friend said, give everybody one chit. And when you need them, you call them. So, for example, our hot water heater uh, exploded. And I called a friend's husband who had said, let me know what I can do. And I said, here's your chit. I need you to help me with the hot water heater. And it made me not feel like the beggar or that poor woman whose husband is, you know, in a coma. And it made him feel sort of ennobled that he could do something useful it was a
1: great tip i need his name and number when mine
3: goes
1: (laughs) because that'll happen that's a great idea and and it it is true and carol and i on this program we've been doing it for for a number of years now uh every caregiver hears from someone who says tell me what i can do and then they go away and you told him what he could do i love it
3: yeah, and you're just not going to think of it in the moment with 20 lasagnas frozen in the freezer from everybody who dropped off a meal. or you know, But then after a while when you pick your head up and you have to start the doing, somebody needs to give the kid a ride to the soccer game, somebody needs to go to the grocery store. Those are the moments that you can use those offers, and it just, it, it's a win-win for everyone.
1: And it is a win-win. And you can donate those lasagnas now. Every food bank could use them, right?
3: That's so sad. It is sad. It's so sad for so many people right now who are just so hurting. Um, small small measures in your local communities, I think, is just the best way to tackle that. As you said, bringing food to a food bank, donating clothes.
2: Well, fast-forwarding now, so that was some of the, the best advice and tactics that you got um, in the time of, of your husband's injury, is there anything that you haven't mentioned today during this pandemic for the fear and the stress? You know, what's what's the bottom line recommendation now to caregivers?
3: I am a big believer in the great outdoors. And of course, it's been well documented that nature is a healer. Uh, there is something that I recently learned the term of. Um, I call it just taking a hike. But apparently there's something called woods bathing. And it's taking people who have Mm. gone through trauma, many of them caregivers, you know, just gone through tough stuff, and taking them through guided walks in the woods or out in nature to find the peace there. So I found in the early days with Bob, and I've absolutely employed it during the pandemic, that when I start feeling closed in or, and that'll start to happen now as the temperature's changing here in the Northeast, um, or just like I've just been sitting on Zoom all day for work or whatever it is, that if I step outside... And try to fix on something in nature, you know, we take a little mini walk, uh, look at the leaves, pull some weeds in the backyard. It just refocuses me, it rebalances me, and it opens up my aperture to the fact that there's a whole big, beautiful world out there.
2: Well, I agree. I think that's so important. And I find myself, you know, when I go outside, I actually take my shoes off so that there's nothing between me and good old Mother Earth. And so I can right. make that connection.
1: That's pretty yeah. cool. Now, w- I, Go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, I think regular exercise, too, whatever that is, but
3: just getting moving, um, hard as it is to do that sometimes. uh, But I think we're we're sitting too much probably in this pandemic, and um, just getting up and moving around or doing things with your hands, cooking, painting, uh, some craft projects, or maybe some some of the DIY stuff that you've left for too long. I find all of those things are soothing.
1: And and as you think about how far, Bob, has come. Uh, you had mentioned that he's almost all the way back. What What's there that uh, you all are still working on?
3: Well, Bob was injured in the speech and language part of his brain. And so um, well, his, well, he's just as bright as he always was, uh, sometimes his language skips in terms of coming up with the word. And everybody always says to him, oh, that's happening to me, you know, as I age. But it's different than that. And it will probably never come back the way it was. And I think the key to any of this, whether you're the caregiver or you're the the person on the other end of the caregiving, is acceptance. Um, Because I think the hardest thing is to struggle against constantly reminding yourself or holding yourself up against the person you used to be. And I'm not going to say that happened overnight for Bob. He was very gracious and elegant about it when he did struggle. I didn't see a lot of that, which I know is unusual for a caregiver. But I, I feel like he got to the acceptance piece. Um, He had to process the part that he would probably never be the anchor of World News again. That skill set of, you know, listening in your ear, thinking ahead, talking on your feet was not going to be one with his injuries that he would be able to do. But he can go live. He does incredible edited pieces. He and our son went uh, on an adventure and a show called Rogue Trip. That's on Disney Plus, if anybody's a Disney Plus survivor. I mean, not sur- survivor, subscriber. Um, it's a father <laughs> it Maybe survivor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They are survivors. But it's just a really upbeat uh, and fun look at being and on we, the road with I, your son. I,
1: I hate to do this, but you know the business. We are out of time. So thank you so much. And, and please give your husband the best, and San Antonio certainly thinks about him a lot. And we thank you for all the work that you're doing.
3: Well, you're one of my favorite cities, so you all take care down there, okay? And thanks so much for having me on.
1: Take care. Bye-bye. Lee Woodruff. I'm Ron Aaron. She's Carol Zernial. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air.